0: Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? I hope that you're taking care of yourself, looking after yourself and each other. If you're in the UK, I hope that you are safe and avoiding the various storms that are hitting us right now. Stay inside and stay warm. Today's episode, we have the incredible Kate Walsh. Kate is an author, journalist, blogger and an amazing intersectional feminist we talk everything from kate reviewing sex toys to our love of history to fan fiction we've also got me going on about and just like that again <laughs> so apologies for that i am um, and again i mentioned my absolute obsession with hacks and jean smart so once again, apologies for that. Um, this episode was recorded in December. So uh, there is a little bit of... um. So just like that had obviously just come out then. So that's why it's kind of on our radar. So as we love to be transparent, um, I had to stop this part of the intro recording and start again. I got really emotional as I spoke about the other things that we discuss um, together. We talk about trans rights and people who claim to be feminists and don't support these rights and um, are actually being the oppressors, which I always find completely incomprehensible, but there we are. Um, And I got really emotional as I was recording this part, so I've Not that I didn't think that you needed to hear my emotions, but I just wasn't able to say what I needed to say. We talk a lot about uh, our young trans people and that always gets me. As some of you know, I am a facilitator and I teach drama workshops to various age groups. So I see it firsthand, the struggle that these young people are going through and it is um, heartbreaking. Um, I also mentioned some stats which I said at the time in the interview that I wasn't quite sure if I was right and I wasn't. I am not going to say it just now because it might be a trigger warning for some people but I will put it in the show notes. I just want to take this little moment um, to just remind everyone, although I'm sure if you're listening to us you already know this, um, we are intersectional feminists. We stand with Support, love, value everyone, and we absolutely stand with our trans siblings. You have our support, whatever you need from us, we are there with you. Now I've said that and managed to get through it. Feels strange to jump in with our um, social media details, but you can follow us (laughs) on all social media. Twitter at persistent nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. You can always send us a wee email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. We do actually have a TikTok as well, but um I haven't been very good with it. So you know um as always please like download review subscribe to the podcast. It truly does make a difference and we want to continue to do this and bring as many different voices to you as possible so any help that you can give us is greatly received. As always if you want to support us financially the PayPal link is in the show notes and send us the price of a wee cuppa. For today's episode I suggest oh something warm and um, strong. I would say, if you like it, whiskey, vodka, rum, wine, water, because we all need that. Remember to stay hydrated, people. But of course, you can always just settle for a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Uh, Kate Welsh, welcome to the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are over the moon to have you. Um... Well, let's just get started with a little potted
1: history of you and your career. It's been kind of a random one. Um, I got into freelance journalism by accident, completely by oh. accident, um, because a friend was editing a magazine and asked if I'd write um a feature for her. And then I kind of got addicted there. And I already was starting my hand with kind of writing fiction. Um and it I had a, I had a blog at that point when it was sort of early days of feminist blogging um realized that that's what I wanted to do completely um mm-hmm. I had a brief stint as a sex toy reviewer um for an LGBT website called Lesbalicious
2: um, Great. where we I nearly about... died
1: choking on a vibrating tongue ring well we have to talk about this thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been uphill from there luckily but that was that was one of the no, not necessarily highlights, but standout moments of my the start. Of my- I mean, <laughs> my
0: brain is like going into overdrive, and I'm like, I, I want. I have so many <laughs> questions. <laughs> Firstly, what was your top toy? I guess is where I'm going to go God,
1: with. Um, there was some, yeah, there was some really interesting ones. I think it was a partnership with um, Shush, the women's sex toy website, and um, yeah. Aside to be honest, aside from that, it was like a proper little ring that you put around your tongue um and you it had a little kind of thing to attach it and I managed to it got loose and I nearly swallowed it oh my god so okay well I'm glad that you yeah
2: did that was it was a very
1: it was a very fun job um but when I, I switched to um writing news for the website it was kind of less exciting but also less deadly
2: so which is you know, you
0: know Bonus in itself. Exactly. Was there any vibrators that people should be buying, or any
1: toys that you um, would say? It you was okay. So I don't think there's any. Um, I don't know what's still on the market and what's not. But <laughs> oh, my cat has just—that's uh, absolutely fine yeah. the, My it's cat's just showing her butt, which is what she joy, likes. Joy. It's the
0: joy of Zoom. It's um, Yeah, I mean, it's always a like during I can't remember if it was lockdown one or two I would always be like you know everybody take care of yourself and make sure you're um masturbating as
1: well well it's important and um it's funny because I've just um written a feature for the website Mashable um about the latest technology in strap on sex okay like I I feel like I my kind of work goes in phases and sometimes I'm Writing lots about culture, sometimes writing lots about history and at the moment it just seems like it's all about sex Okay,
0: okay, so we're in We're you are in a sex phase. I'm in my sex phase. I'm in okay. my sex phase.
2: Okay,
1: brilliant um, <laughs> Apparently you can get um, Dildos that are they they change color like they're heat sensitive. You know the t-shirts you get in the 90s. Yeah, uh-huh. They're like that, but for your vagina I'm kind of obsessed Wow it's like a mood ring. It's like a mood ring. So oh. yeah. I've okay. I, yeah, that was I filed that the other day and I've just been closing all of my tabs because of course I have a million tabs open. And it's like, yeah. wow. This is, this
0: a a mood mid- mid- ring dildo. I mean, yeah. who knew
2: in the who 90s? Knew? That's what we, we were making mood
0: rings, yeah, tie-dye t-shirts that change colour, That that's where we'd be going. That's where we headed,
1: you know. Yeah, great. I, mean, I kind of want to know who came up with that idea, because I feel like you'd have to be maybe like drunk and nostalgic. Yeah,
2: I think yeah, you know it would
1: be really funny.
0: Yeah. Drunk high. This would be hilarious. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So, yes, back to um <laughs> the start
1: of your career and uh, reviewing sex toys and then yeah um and then because I was writing I started off kind of writing about LGBT issues I was writing for Diva um I was a regular guest on Woman's Hour for a while which was amazing um and Emma Thompson made me a cup of tea there that is the best moment of my career we were on on the same on the same show and she was like "Oh, she you fancy a cup of tea I'm like yes Emma Thompson I do also by the way I love you um I mean, mean right? That's
0: yeah. like, career highlight that's right
1: high. it's, It hasn't gone better than that, honestly. <laughs> I mean, it's been pretty good, but that was nothing is going to beat that. Um, so, yeah, I've been writing about queer issues and feminist issues, usually linking back to kind of culture and history and books um, for just over 10 years now, which is terrifying. Um, I was books editor at Diva magazine for a while. I've been a uh, feature editor for a music website um, and I also write fiction. Yes, you do. I do. I do a lot of things. I used to joke that I had career ADHD, um, but then it just turns out that I have the actual kind of ADHD. So I'm like, ah, oh, that, that makes sense. You, so um, you just, are you being diagnosed? Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, actually, that makes so much sense in the context of a freelance career. Yeah. Because I always want to do five different things at once. And I get to jump around, like between, particularly with articles, I get to jump around between totally different fields and topics. It's like, oh, I think I accidentally made a career that works for my brain.
0: Do you know? It's really that's really fascinating. I know quite a few um, women, in particular, mm-hmm. who have been diagnosed with ADHD later on yeah. in their lives, and it, it, and actually probably just within the last couple of years. And
1: it's just it's fascinating. That it is. It's so interesting. I have got a group chat with some friends who are in the process of being diagnosed or have just been diagnosed, and it's like everything kind of clicks into place. It's like, oh, now I understand why my brain works the way it does and it's so yeah. cool because it's like oh there's a there's like an actual reason behind all of this stuff
0: yeah so and really- that you've been you know functioning in that way for so yeah. long and you know get getting through it um so obviously like you worked for diva and things like that was that a deliberate choice for you do you think that it was and your LGBTQ Definitely issues.
1: I mean I did um I did just graduated from my master's was, which was in sexual dissidence and cultural change at Sussex um and that was all very much kind of queer theory gender studies all the stuff that the TERFs who hate Sussex are complaining about basically
2: uh, uh, yeah.
1: so I've had ah so TERFs fantastic. yeah yeah mm. that was and I knew that I wanted to keep thinking about it and writing about it. And I kind of pulled back from that for a while, particularly when um more trans issues came to the fore, because I thought there were so many more, so many people writing more interesting things about queerness than I am right now. I want okay. to, I didn't want to kind of keep forcing my perspective when there was just more interesting stuff being written. I just thought I just want to read and reflect and um absorb stuff for a while. And so the Diva um, books editor job came about at the same time as I was a Telegraph columnist um, for about two years, also writing about queer issues, which was fun. Got very well written hate mail. I was going to say, how is it for working with, like,
0: as that kind of, at that level of those kind of...
1: what can I call those papers?
0: You know, po- popular broadsheets. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're right
1: wing. They're very comfortable. they right wing. <laughs> um, I used to joke that I was their token socialist dike. <laughs> and, you know, I. Um, it's interesting. At the time, I felt like I had more free reign in terms of what I could write about um, than I would have done at The Guardian, for example, particularly around trans issues, because at that point, The Telegraph was just like, all the LGBT stuff is new to us. Um, so I could come in and write whatever I wanted whereas The Guardian was ostensibly very progressive but mm-hmm. always behind the thing on trans issues so I think if I'd pitched stuff there it would have been more of a fight. It
2: yeah a so you kind
1: of got under whereas, the As far and... as the telegraph was concerned everything I was doing was a bit out there. Okay yeah. Um, and that was that was great so I did that for for two years and I still freelance for them sporadically. Um, it's interesting i was talking to some friends about this about being a freelance journalist in the quote-unquote culture wars because it's where do you draw your lines in terms of mm. who you won't work with and who you won't work mm. for mm. um and it's it's a tricky one you know i've got a friend who's just taken a job at the sun um and more power to her because that's how we change these complications from the inside yeah um that's that's one of my lines in the sand
0: yeah, it's really yeah. Hard. yeah, yeah. That's a really hard one, right? It's like
1: yeah, it's tricky. But then equally, you know, I know I've got friends who are not comfortable with the fact that I write for the Telegraph. It's like somebody has to make somebody has to write this stuff for the people who aren't going to see it anywhere else.
0: This is this. You know, is I've got so to true.
1: stab their under liberal bubble somehow.
0: Yeah, I. And that is so true and it kind of, um, I think that's a good point in making us all kind of think about it because if we stay in our safe little spaces Mm. and kind of with our, um, you know, echo chamber, nothing changes then, like we don't actually make any change. So those uncomfortable decisions of going somewhere where our point of view isn't going to be possibly the one that is um, embraced.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I've that's kind of reflected in a lot of the radio that I did over the past few years, um, where it was stuff like tour radio and LBC. Um and you know, I'm not naive. I know that a lot of my appeal for the producers there is that I have no compunction about ins- insulting their presenters on air. <laughs> um and telling them that I think they're bigoted. Because there has to be a there has to be a different voice, a different balance um to these shows and we're not going to get it unless people who disagree with them appear there but it's then it's like how much of my time do I want to spend arguing on a very arguing about issues with people who only understand a very surface level
2: rather than
1: diving into things in a more complex way and challenging myself and also how much do I want to spend my time like firefighting the inevitable social media trolling Yeah.
0: yeah social media
1: it's I'm I'm lucky I've I know people have it much much worse than me um but I tend to there are certain places that I'll write for or appear on where I ask them not to tag me um when they're tweeting a link to my stuff like, yeah I don't I don't if people are going to come and hassle me put some effort in don't let them you know yeah yeah make them do the yeah. homework of, yeah. yeah and stuff like um LBC in particular over the pandemic Started to stream video with their radio shows as well, Um, which is great in many ways. It is terrible if you're a woman, particularly if you know you're a plus size queer woman. Um, (laughs) Delightful, delightful feedback. Imagine, yeah. Apparently, all I need is exercise, and I, I think will also stop being a lesbian. The logic wasn't very clear. I think everything was blurred into one there, but um,
2: yeah, I need a man to take up jogging. Apparently. A man and taking up jogging. Yeah. Okay. I'd say no to both. <laughs> Maybe I'm
1: jogging away from the man. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe you're jogging away from that. That's very possible.
0: Along with your kind of work putting out LGBTQ culture and you have also created your own books and feminist me. point of view. Yeah. So uh, and th-
1: they have a history element to them as well, which I love. I'm a history nerd. Um, I think it's these are books that i would wanted to write since I was in my teens. I'm really glad that I, I got around to doing them and people want to read them. Um, so it's a Victorian historical feminist fiction is what I call it. Um, it's about said in the 1890s in Edinburgh uh, when the university has just started officially letting female students in. My main character, Sarah Gilchrist, who is a um, medical student and fallen woman. She's got a bit of a past, a bit of a a backstory, um, and she stumbles across um, the murder of a woman she recognises and gets drawn into both, both drawn into exploring the circumstances behind this woman's murder, but also having to reckon with some stuff with her own past. Mm. And that's a series. Um, The first one is The Wages of Sin. The second one is The Unquiet Heart. Um, The third one is The Fate of Empires, which... I don't have an official publication date for yet, but hold the space.
0: How exciting. How exciting. I do, I love that the fact that you because there's always this thing, isn't there, that we, women in the past yeah. were quote unquote well behaved, the, yeah. you know, whatever that kind of phrase means, and that you're creating this woman who is um striving for change in a society that mm-hmm. isn't ready for it.
1: Definitely. And it's a fascinating period because it's the turn of the century. Um, and it's a society that thinks they are about as enlightened and progressive as it's going to get. Yeah. This is uh, particularly with the Victorians, they were very self congratulatory as mm. an era. Um, so it's. And with fun... one of our lo-
0: longest reigning monarchs, who is a female.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, and although it did come in hand in hand with a lot of um, practical and logical. Um, improvements on women's lives there was also that inevitable backlash of um, the idea of a woman's sphere being home and half so Mm -hmm. yeah it's always always interesting to look at stuff like that
2: Um, yeah
1: and it's kind of fascinating because I'm I've just um, finished a piece looking at um, Radcliffe Hall who was a 1920s openly lesbian writer whose book got banned um, in the UK that literally got burnt after a Sunday Express campaign, um, and looking at, and that's, you know, 40 years after I'm writing Sarah, Mm. but seeing the the remnants of Victorianism Mm.
2: um,
1: that is still present there were really interesting.
2: When you kind of say
0: it like that, it kind of makes me think, God, there's still remnants of it in our society
2: now. There's
1: an incredible book called, by Rachel Verona Coates, called Too Much, Um, which is about how Victorian expectations of women are still in play today. Mm. It's one of the, it's up there with the books I wish I'd written. Um, It's incredible. Although Rachel's a friend, so, you know, if she gets to write her book, I'm very happy for her. Um, (laughs) It's wonderful. I wish it was me. Um, I'm just jealous. Um, But it's, yeah, it's fantastic. And there really is that. The. The gender roles that were codified in the 19th century. Um, particularly around women and particularly around queerness um, that still are still in place today Mm. and it's interesting to see looking kind of at the past before then how much of this stuff is actually invented by the Victorians yeah that's
0: it's so funny that you well I don't always make correlations like that and then having conversations like this I've just gone oh my
1: god of course because because we're so used to seeing the past presented a certain way
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: I think a brilliant example of that is Bridgerton yeah. Where everyone was like, oh my god This is like, they're doing face casting This is so edgy It's like, well, actually there were a lot of people of colour around At that point um, there's a, There is a pretty solid case That Queen Charlotte was actually a black woman
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, It's, yeah, the history is not as Straight, male and white As people think it is
0: Or indeed Some may want it to be <laughs> I want
1: it to be, yeah <laughs>
0: It's very much yeah the case. Um so obviously you have your your story, um The Wages of Sin, as mm-hmm. you said, is the first one. So if uh, people are looking for that, they can get it on uh Otterson's They can get it in, in
1: bookshops day? and on Kindle and oh, um audiobook as well. Um, and in a bizarre um coincidence, the voice actress who um reads The Wages of Sin is we we share a mutual Almost best friend, very best friend And it's like we, that, how? It's such, a, it's such a big world And yet, mm. like okay <laughs> Some things are just... Oh, happen, I, lo- I, think. I love all
0: those little things when they happen um, And obviously you do, as you said You're a freelance journalist as well And how um, has that been recently for you With kind of articles that are coming out Because there's so much in the press It certainly feels like almost every other week There is some form of... I mean, I want to say attack because it feels like an attack, but discussion I'll put on um, the trans community. And... I mean, attack is
1: right. I think attack yeah. is absolutely right. And it's terrifying and it's depressing. Um, and, it yeah, it does make me question, you know, on a, on a personal level, how much I want to work with certain people who are comfortable commissioning and pushing those lines. Um, and the interestingly, the Radcliffe Hall piece that I was just talking about Um, which is for them it's a um, US publication but it's like an LGBT website and I'm looking at the Sunday Express campaign they got this book banned um, and comparing the media for around that and even the language used uh, to what's happening in the press around for trans people today Mm -hmm. because it's in in places it's word for word it's terrifying we they're working from a very old playbook and it's there Are sections of society that I don't expect anything better from, sadly. Um, yeah. when it's people calling themselves feminists, particularly people who particularly lesbian feminists, it's like but all of these arguments being thrown at us, you can't just sit there and throw them back at other people. Um, and it's it's horrifying. I and mean, I've got a lot of a lot of trans friends who are really hurt just emotionally hurt as well as practically hurt by this and it's horrifying um and I love that we're that in the world today people are feeling comfortable to sit in these new identities whether it's new to them or new to the world at large like I joked to my sister the other day that um I probably know more people who have come out as trans in the past two years than I do have had children um, just that's that's just kind of my demographic mm-hmm. and god I just people who are so much happier people who are coming into themselves and living the lives they're supposed to be living and the idea there's a back it's it's stupid I don't understand it mm. in a lot of ways um but it's also very frightening and it feels like we're moving towards um a much more illiberal society
2: yeah it really does there's a real
0: uh, yeah unease unsettled unsettling yeah. um, aspects to it all um I'd really love to pick up on what you said there about um being a lesbian feminist mm-hmm. and that kind of point of view um would be great if you could kind of delve a little bit deeper into that and what that is like within the community at yeah. large because that is such a I think as well there is such an erasure of um you know there's a lack of by visibility mm-hmm. in our society and our TV screens and our theatres, etc. But I do think there's also, although there does seem to be a little bit more of a push with um for lesbian vi- visibility, yeah. but nowhere near as much as I would say that there is for gay
2: visibility. Yes, yeah,
1: definitely. And I mean equally even then um TV generally speaking is too straight.
2: God, yeah
1: um, You know, don't get me wrong some of my favourite TV shows are straight, but <laughs> it's interesting. And yeah, I think as spe- speaking specifically as a lesbian, there have been points in the past few years when I've always been asha- almost been ashamed of that word because it felt like it's been co-opted um by turfs. I'm not gonna say, you know, feminists because they're not um it's you know that, that that's not a definition of feminism I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Um the lesbian community has always needed to reckon with the level of transphobia there. It's always been present, I think. Um, but the reason it's always been present in a way is that because trans women and trans lesbians have always been around, have always been part of our community. This isn't something new. This isn't just, you know, men deciding they want to invade women's spaces or queer women's spaces for kicks. This is there is a long and beautiful, proud legacy of trans queer women that is being erased. And I just don't think as a cis lesbian or broadly cis lesbian anyway um I don't feel like I can sit back
2: and and let that happen yeah and the conversations that you're having within your community like um
0: how are they going
1: it's interesting I mean and it's the whole thing of not wanting to be completely in a bubble um but also you know I have deliberately told my circle of acquaintances based on their views about this, because I think this is one of the biggest issues of our time, a massive human rights issue. And quite frankly, if you don't think that trans people have the same rights as cis people, I can't really in good conscience be friends with you. Um but in making sure that I'm still engaging in the debates kind of overall, whether it's you know in person or online, there's it's a sense that I think that lesbian spaces are being threatened and of course mm. they have always been threatened um by myriad things um the number of when well, the number of gay bars that have closed down even long before covid yeah has been dramatic there were never that many lesbian bars to begin with it has shrunk hugely um we're a minority within a minority it's very easy to sit in a place of victimhood and think any change is oh people are are taking away the few rights that we've got, the few spaces we've got. Um, and that's that's not the case. Um, and there's a depressing argument that women who would once identify as butch lesbians um, are being pressured to identify as trans men, um, which again isn't the case. Um, and you know, you look back on what people would have described as classic lesbian novels like Stone Butch Blues, very much deals the trans mask identity. Um, it's, I find it very difficult to have people act i say people i mostly mean julie bindle um act like there's this pure perfect lesbian culture that's being defiled um that feels very fascist to me i
2: don't like it
1: yeah um, it's 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 deeply frustrating because they're white trying to whitewash history in a lot of ways um and there's the the rebel dykes documentary that's about at the moment um which looks at um, queer feminism in the 80s and it's focused around um a queer M club for women um and it's it shows all of those things that we're being told of recent you know internet inventions like we've always had kink positive lesbians we've always had women in our community who are sex workers we've always had trans women that none of this is new um and there's an attempt i think to be made that people are trying to divorce us from our own history mm. which i find particularly horrifying by telling us I guess i saying actually that's not what this this history is
0: yeah and it's using all the things that w- we as feminists mm. have been fighting against our yeah. patriarchal system Absolutely. and now you're using it against the sisterhood and I again I use that in quotation marks because I mean the sisterhood in all of its form yeah yeah because I mean, you you know, for us, we are very much an intersectional of feminist course, yeah. uh, initiative. For me, uh, there is, yes, trans women are women. I yes. can't, I will not, uh, I have been told by other quote-unquote feminists oh. that uh, my, when I say that, that, uh, you know, feminism should be and is the movement for equality for all—you mm-hmm.
1: don't get to put a caveat on who yeah. that is for. No, not at all. um And because otherwise, yeah, and again, this be... isn't a new definition of feminism. um It's—I I literally had somebody tell me that in a, a Zoom uh, TUC
0: Scottish TUC meeting, oh. and tell me that that's not the definition of feminism,
2: and I went. Interesting and, and depressing, but um, yeah, it's a. I think there's a real
1: concerted, has been a real concerted infiltration from the right, a very deliberate one, um, into, into feminist spaces. If anything, if anybody is violating our feminist spaces, it's the right. Um, I'm f- obsessed actually with the way the role that mumsnet plays in this. I could talk to you for hours about this, um, because this isn't just some cute little forum set up by parents, set up by mums to chat about childcare, it's, it was founded by Justine Roberts, whose husband was, if not still is, the head of Channel 4 and had always there pushed a very transphobic, anti-LGBT, pro-Tory agenda. Yeah. Um, and I noticed, because it's, I sort of hate Reddit for a, a very long time um, and regret giving them, giving them the clips, but it was one of those, I kind of need to know what people are saying and it just got to the point where I, I read Saturation Point. um but you'd see a lot of posts going well you know i used to vote labor but obviously i can't anymore because they don't understand what women are so i'll have to vote conservative instead and people go "Hmm, yeah i should consider that as well it's like don't you realize you're being played
2: and that's that's without the
1: fact that a huge amount of you know dark money from um the us religious right is being funneled towards quote-unquote gender critical campaigns in the uk
0: And Exactly. This whole, um, again, the correlation that people don't seem to be seeing for me is, and in particular, I find it surprising a lot of the time when it comes from older lesbians in particular, Mm. who um, aren't seeing the way that the press are using them to push the agenda that trans people, because we never talk about trans men. No, exactly. Trans men are never spoken about. Yeah, There's because, never because trans men are just poor little confused lesbians, right? Oh my God, I hate it so much. Right. And that's never, so that's never, so it's always about trans women that we're Ooh. talking about. And the language and the tactics that are used are the same things that were used against the gay community yeah. 50, 60 years ago. Exactly.
1: And you not know, even that
0: long ago, I think. Well, yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, so we've moved on from, you know in previous times a gay man it was just a paedophile yeah so now a trans woman is a rapist yeah can they not how how can they not see how can they not see the correlation of what is being done there and that the fact that somebody who is part of that community 30 40
1: years ago is now being the Oppressor for want of it's a better a, word. Because it's a cult. It's doing everything that cults do. It's isolating them from the rest of their community. Um, you know, giving people a common enemy. And it's it's really horrifying. And the people they're allying with do not have women's rights in their best interest. They don't, they're not concerned about the, the rights and in the interests of lesbians or bisexual yeah. women. It's I mean, we see we can see what's happening um with abortion rights in America. And a lot of the people at the centre of that movement are quite happily allying with people who would describe themselves as gender political feminists. I mean, a lot of the big names in that, you know, quote unquote feminist community will go to the States and appear on, um, you know, the shock jock far right talk shows because, Hey, at least they're getting their point across. Right. Um, And so that, yeah, it's actually scary.
2: (laughs) same um, the, the kind of people they're ready to ally themselves with is very telling I think yeah, and there isn't much you can add to that because it yeah. it says it all, right yeah. if There's a, the level to... of hypocrisy
1: is staggering, I mean, and she's not remotely the most important person in this movement at all, but JK. Rowling did not have a problem with Johnny Depp um who had actually who had been accused of and then Proven in a court of law that he had been violent to his female partner. Um, apparently sent roses to Marilyn Manson in 2020, saying that she was sorry he had a rough time. I could be paraphrasing there. Um, this is purely based off Twitter. Please
2: don't sue me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, more than happy to s- actively support his casting. And then to turn around and... Create
1: this straw figure of the predatory trans woman. It's hideous and it's depressing. And I'm. It's hideous and it's depressing, but, and it's for
0: a generation of young people who thought they had found a story and a character that was the heartbroken for my friends, uh,
1: Harry Potter fans.
0: Yeah, outsider, and you know, and then she turned around years ago and said that Dumbledore was gay. So you're giving a platform yeah. to that. This this um
1: idea of this character who is beloved by everyone. I mean, I have friends who, you know, the Harry Potter fandom was was and is hugely important to them, and and has to extent shaped their lives. And to have that, to have the creator turn around and be like, actually, yeah, is is horrible. Um, but equally, you know, the press that's being funneled towards Rowling. Is taking away from the issues that are actually facing trans people, which exactly. is, um you know, terribly, hideously long waiting lists, decent healthcare access, the fact that people are more likely to suffer with mental health issues or live in poverty, um, because of all of these other intersecting issues. Yeah. You know, and the rate of suicide in our nice. young trans community is
0: um I read a fact on this, and I don't want to get it wrong, but it is something like um. Is it twenty six percent of straight children will consider suicide, mm-hmm. whereas seventy six percent of trans children will consider suicide. It's that great. is fucking terrifying, and the fact that that is not a conversation that we're having and we're talking about fucking toilets. Yeah, I can't it's, get on toilets.
1: The poet J.C. Giles um, makes some fantastic points around this on Twitter about the things that we should be discussing um, and should be campaigning for. But of course, when you're constantly being, you know, when all you do, can do is firefight, then that means you don't get to campaign on the issues that are actually, you know, going to move things forward. And that's the point. It's not about toilets. It's about making sure the trans community is so under siege uh, that they can't go and fight for what they actually need. Yeah. I think we're going to see another Section 28 in the next couple of years.
2: I do. Which makes me feel sick to my stomach, yeah. that that
0: is even a possibility in a supposedly progressive country. I mean, it's not, let's be
1: honest. And I think at but- this point they've stopped even pretending to be progressive. <laughs> um, Jacob mogg loathsome uh, teacher, was talking about how um
2: you know, pushing back against the, the Human Rights Act means that they, they can get rid of political correctness. And it's just like, they're, they're fetishizing being a dick, basically. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's genuinely scary. And it's, yeah, you do hit that
1: point of, should I be using my my time and my work in a more productive, activist-focused way? Um, you know, what the, what the balance there is yeah it's it's a tricky one and then there is like
0: there's a whole thing as well about um, I think activism and you know when you are a voice or in a position to have that that you can't fix it all yeah. and that realization is heartbreaking. and then it's about well, what can I do?
2: Yeah,
0: and then that also feels huge because then
2: it's well which way do I go because who do I leave behind if you can't. Or finds yeah. Oh God, yeah. God. It's oh. yeah,
1: how can you support everybody at once? And of course we can we? It's it's huge and it's depressing and it's scary. Um but the thing is they want us to be depressed and scared.
0: Yeah, um, they do. Because if we're depressed and scared, we're quiet.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean the one thing I, I do have issues with sort of the commercialization of feminism since 2016, but God at least we had that voice and weren't quiet and weren't just didn't sink off to lick our wounds
2: oh absolutely
1: I mean but also
0: I mean the LGBTQ community should also be livid about the commercialization as well you know you see all these companies that you know in the June they've got like rainbow flags and they're bringing out rainbow so this that and the next thing with these
1: hideous you know hideous countries with terrible human rights records it's like you, yeah. you don't actually mean that do you yeah yeah you know, what you want us to do is bank with you and give you our money yeah
2: it's all about capitalism yeah
1: it's yeah it, i think it most things in the end come back to capitalism right now and it's yeah. kind of frightening mm-hmm. just much everything honestly mm-hmm. yeah i definitely have those days and i'm just like fuck it let's just start from scratch i know i mean yeah burn it to the ground we're always about burn it to the ground <laughs> always always a good choice um I got really into it at the start of lockdown reading blogs about like um I think they were calling it like radical homesteading which is basically just like living off the land and lots of tumblers talking about starting queer communes um which sounded fantastic but, um I'm just not very good at gardening so yeah I didn't yeah. really care I, t- I tried I tried my, my tomatoes are now growing Two years later, in December. I mean, that's okay. They're growing. I mean, they shouldn't. They shouldn't be producing tomatoes in December. That's a whole other issue. But they're
0: they're their own tomato <laughs> they're, go- they're going down their own path. Yeah. Um. It's yeah. Pull it back. We need to start again. And some, but how we do that, really.
1: And it's really easy to to look at everything that's happening and feel completely overwhelmed and feel like you want to retreat from it. And it's getting that balance between self care and numbing yourself mm. which god knows i do not always get right all the time
2: um, oh, i did
1: not i think it's, and it's yeah it that doesn't mean that it's not still important to have conversations about oh my god the end of season 3 of succession or I haven't seen it i will say nothing um <laughs> or you know celebrity gossip all of that stuff is still important and still produces joy particularly queer joy particularly trans joy um and that's what we have to come back to, I think. I mean, the big thing for me is that, you know, the, the misogynists, the homophobes, the transphobes, the racists, they don't want us to be happy.
2: And actually being happy is probably the most radical thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Burning it down is a really good second. Yeah. First. i And like, I, I'm going to, uh, yeah. Wait, that needs to be on a
1: badge. I, that'll get on a badge.
0: Get yeah, that, that needs to be on a badge. I'm talking about that, let us find something positive then. So tell me about how in the last like kind of 10 years of your career, you've noticed a positive change within your writing to the
1: people that read it, maybe? It's an exciting time to be a writer. But I think it's an even more exciting time to be a reader at the moment, particularly when it comes to journalism. Um, I'm starting up a newsletter in the new year and it's called I Wish I'd Written That. Uh, which is doing, uh, I'm calling it, it into hot takes. So looking at the, you know, the really good standout pieces that go viral and looking why they say good and um, speaking to the writers and talking about how they went how they went about that. Um, you know, where does their idea from, how can, how do you construct something like that? Um, and it can be stuff from, you know, the, the New Yorker profile I was talking about this week or about a year ago, this journalist called Al Hunt, who writes for The Guardian, Um, It was one of those, like I bookmarked it as a piece I wish I'd written, Um, and it's about this Facebook group called Numtots, which is New Urbanist Means for Transit-Oriented Teens. It's actually mostly, I think, made up of 20 and 30-somethings now, Uh, but it's a group of people who are really into public transport infrastructure um, and better, more affordable housing and practical changes. And you'll get anything from, I am a hardcore member now, you'll get anything from um, people posting pretty new tube maps to um, going, hey, this city has just um, made a massive difference towards carbon neutralising their, their inner cities. Um, and that was like this intersection, this Venn diagram of something really fascinating and topical, but also people being really, in a lovely way, weird and obsessive about random stuff.
2: And as somebody who gets weird and obsessive about random stuff, I, I love that kind of thing. Um, and I just feel like it's a, there are so
1: many fascinating subcultures bubbling away at the moment. Um, it's just kind of delightful to dive into. Um, it's become much cooler to be really into stuff. I think, you know, we had that 2010s kind of detached snark. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't actually cool to like stuff. And now we're all embracing our inner geek, and I love it.
2: Yeah, it's so true.
0: It really does feel like that, that kind of idea of just, like, you know, finding your little thing and, like... Yeah, people just feeling comfortable with it, just being really into stuff. And be, yeah, and being really honest and just being, like, this is it. This is, this is my obsession with Gen Z and the kind of generation just below Gen Z of, like, I totally believe they're going to change the world. Yeah, definitely. Just like I, I realize that's a lot of pressure to put on them, but I'm like I'm they're just so open. they used to
1: be at this point.
0: Yeah, they're just so open in a way that I can't and maybe maybe we maybe when I was that age, that generation we were, but I don't think we
1: were. No, I think there was still too much passivity there. I mean, I think about when I was a student and feeling like particularly you know, I was at Edinburgh and it wasn't a radical campus at all. Um, and just thinking, oh, I, th- I thought people would be, you know, wanting to start a bloody revolution or something. Mm. Um, and there was, it was much harder to get activism off the ground there. Yeah. You when know, this is 2001 to 2005, um, it's, there was the, the ideas were formulating, the impulses were formulating I and mean, lots of places, you know, this did happen. Um, but I think we've been, we've been hampered a great deal, um, particularly You know, by stuff like the recession, and then you've got Gen Z who are coming into a world that's already fucked.
2: Yeah, yeah, basically as adults. Yeah, um,
1: and have fewer illusions. I think. Yeah, that's
0: a really good point because even you know, as someone who is an activist, I would say that my activism really was only kind of pushed forward and pushed to the front, probably in my early thirties, was when that started, because. I am like that kind of, what well, am I? I'm that micro generation, Generation X or a Xenial? Xenial. Like yeah, Xenial, yeah. One of them, an aged millennial. Yes.
1: <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I got told I was a geriatric that millennial. Was the term I start throwing around. And I'm, I mean, my back might agree with it, but the rest of me doesn't. Yeah, what, the
0: geriatric millennial? Like no, yeah, age. I know the first time somebody told me that I was like what I'm a geriatric millennial and then I was like "Oh, my God. oh. yeah my knees my knees it's my knees that would agree with that okay. um but yeah I think when I was in my 20s it was
2: like ah.
1: yeah definitely and I think it's the we did uh, such a kind
0: of like you know you could get stuff things were really ready available the change in technology
1: was really huge we've gone from like, we still had a Labour government
2: yeah you
1: know that I think has made all the difference. That's God, that's so true. You didn't even and think about god. that. I mean, and much as I and distant certainly now this of the Labour Party, um, God, don't you miss Gordon Brown? <laughs> Gosh.
0: <laughs> so what was I saw recently and somebody said something and it was like along the lines of Gordon Brown came out and spoken from, like, oh my god, Gordon Brown's making sense. Can we just go back to that? I was like, you know, because the last time everybody was like, oh, get rid of him. And then it's just, I mean, it has been a shit show. We all know it's a shit show. Um, but because of this younger generation, I do see such a change and they give
1: me such hope. Definitely, definitely. And I think we'll see more challenges to the two-party system as well. I and mean, we're starting to already with, and certainly in Scotland, is, it's a massive difference, and particularly, you know, looking at the Green Party in Scotland, um, yeah there's definitely I definitely feel more hope for the future than I do despair
2: you're in Scotland right you're yeah. it is
1: coast I am <laughs> I went for the version of less rain sensible colder but less rain colder, definitely colder I like the cold. cold that's one of the reasons I moved up after yeah. 10 years in London I was just like it's too hot I need to go somewhere cold and dark Scotland <laughs> Scotland Although we are beautiful when the sun shines. Though. Oh god, I I love it. I love it. Um we there's a, a reasonable chance we'll end up my wife and i kind of like moving to various places and over the next few years in terms of where work takes us both. But even from visiting Edinburgh as a kid, Edinburgh was home. I don't know yeah. what like we're just vibing on the same
0: frequency. Yeah, just that kind of thing of you're totally drawn to it. And it, like that kind of thing of moving up, have you noticed like differences in the city and the change as well? Like, yeah,
1: it's interesting because I I, mean, I moved up um, back in 2014, so I've been, here, I've been here a while now, seeing the way that the Fringe has turned into this massive corporate monolith.
2: Yes. It's horrible. It's, it's really depressing. Deeply, on, deep is deep
1: it? depressing. <laughs> um, and the awful thing is like it, it needed a reset. Um, but just did that research have to be covered um, no. and, and will things build back to the way they should be or will they will people use it as an excuse to make it more commercial more capitalist oh well, i think it's probably if the if the industry promises of change at
0: the start of lockdown were anything to go by and now their behavior that we're coming back yeah is anything to go by i would say that unfortunately not yeah. okay. so those it's of brief. us who experienced the fringe of 15 years ago 20 years ago yeah. like When you could take a risk on a show because it was £2.50. Yeah. And you might see one of the most amazing pieces of theatre or dance or poetry that you'd ever seen and it cost you £2.50. Now it's just, there's something so. And I think the people of Edinburgh, I remember having a conversation with a taxi driver a couple of years ago and they were like, oh, we just, we would quite like it to go back to like the, like it's almost like do a separate festival where
2: yeah. it's like
1: back to what it used to be exactly because they love
2: that as well even
1: in the Edinburgh festival in yeah. a lot of ways yeah. it's, it's depressing and it's it's it makes it difficult for the city um and then we've had all the issues around um that Airbnb have mm. bloody encouraged um a festival lets and it's it's made housing almost impossible up here so yeah all these different so many
0: different things um Kate I just wanted to ask and please if you don't want to kind of talk about it that's absolutely fine but it's something um when I was talking to Hannah Jarrett Scott and we were talking about um kind of lesbian visibility and mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've watched Float on um BBC I haven't yet to my shame I need to it's um, really beautiful but I mean, we, um, we kind of talked about that kind of you know a uh, the, the visibility of queer characters on screen yeah. um and in books and mm-hmm. in radio drama for young people in particular and just like Hannah kind of touched on what that meant for her what that would have meant for her as well um and I was wondering if could just kind of ask you about that for you as grown up what that yeah what I mean, would have been that's... great and what do you wish you had
1: now I guess yeah I mean it's interesting because i You know, I grew up in the 90s and I grew up in, um, I went to a convent school. It was very, like, it wasn't just a convent school. It was literally, we had a chapel in the school. The nuns lived in the school. um, There was a graveyard of dead nuns next to the hockey pitch. It was full on. That is is full on, yeah. And, yeah, realising kind of 13, 14 that I was queer was, I think it just made me deeply mistrustful of authority because I always had that sense of, oh, they think I'm this, you know, perfect good girl who's quiet and gets good marks now, but if they knew, it would be completely different. Um, and I remember in sixth form, um, I was I was a library prefect, I was very proud of that, um, because the library was my happy place. Um, and we had quite a few um, books on like the sixth form bookshelves that the younger students can see, um, that were around kind of the mentioned queer issues that had lesbian characters. Um, and I went back um, to give a talk to my school about a few years after I graduated uni and said so to the librarian, it's like, how, like, did you know that? Like, how did you get away with that? Because I found it incredible. I just sort of assumed that you must have gotten these books and maybe not realise.
2: And she sort of looked at me and she was just like, who do you think I was getting them for? And I was like, oh my God. Oh. She was like, well, if one person was going to read them. I'm like,
1: really sweet. I came out during sixth form and the, there were teachers there who would I went from, you know, being the one they called on for every question to they wouldn't acknowledge me. Which is just, you know, deeply first world problems, but also quite scarring in a lot of ways.
2: I think...
0: No, that I think that's that uh, it is scarring and I think that you have every right to um kind of acknowledge that I think we kind of tend to do that don't we Um, yeah. those of us who are aware of what other people go through yeah. we kind of almost like play down that but that is hugely scarring no matter who you are yeah to have gone from being that in a position
2: to then being ignored because of yeah. your sexuality it was utterly I mean ridiculous um but yeah, and I've,
1: I've, I've been back since to give talks um, because the teachers who stuck around were like, yes, she's doing cool media stuff. We will have her speak to our, our girls. And that's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the particularly around books, the level of YA literature at the moment that covers LGBT issues. I would, I'm sure it's not the majority, but it feels like it sometimes. Um, there's, there are so many places for kids to go and find themselves in books. And go and lose themselves in books. I mean, it's it's just amazing. Um, you know, the publishing industry certainly isn't perfect. Um, it's definitely too white, it's definitely too middle class, but the changes that are happening are really heartening. And we are seeing much more representation on TV. Um, my guilty pleasure TV watch, actually, <laughs> but I love it. Um, is Wentworth. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like remake of the Yeah. And it's so all those
1: '90s teenagers are like prisoner cell vloggers, know it. But for people who don't know it, it's set in an Australian women's prison, Um, and as you would imagine, it's really gay. Um, But because there are so many characters who are either are established queer or fall in love with women over their time there, um, they can get away with so much. You can kill off female characters because you're not killing off the only one you know yeah. you can have you know that, that overall big villain um is the former governor who is i think it's never explicitly stated that she's a lesbian but but is um and she's this terrifying slightly predatory woman but you can have that because there are so many other lesbians and bi women and a trans man later on in the show you can have that you can have you can do all the dramatic um, plot advancey breaking the hearts of viewers stuff um, provided you've got enough of a cast of characters that you're not killing off or doing terrible things, the only minorities. Yeah. And that just made me think, I just, I just want to kind of, yeah, live in that world where I can get invested in something and not feel like I'm about to like my one bit of representation is about to be used for rating fodder.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: And it's also things like, you know, when you've got a group of friends and there's the one token queer person there, it's like, no, it might start out like that, but somebody else is gonna come out in a few years like Give me a, show me a group of, you know, five female friends who are straight, start out straight and cis And if they're still, you know, female and straight, five years down the line. Like, like oh my that's, and that's. <laughs> looking at like Sex in the City, I'm just like, seriously, none of you have transitioned? That's not like my friendship group at all. <laughs> Um, or maybe that's why Samantha left. No, I'm sure yeah, I mean This is not relevant to what we were talking about, but I somebody said, I think it was on TikTok, and it was the most savage thing I'd ever seen, was that the reason Samantha left is because um while she was part of their main friendship group, they were never part of her main friendship group. <sighs> they were on her best
2: friends. And I was just like, oh Savage and I love it. Also, I love it. Love it. I have
1: yeah. so many things that I could say about sex um, in the city and uh, yeah. the the comeback of. It's of an it. interesting one, and I think the thing for me that um, that really hit me was reminded me of how much of a prude Carrie always was, like how deeply mm-hmm. sex negative somebody who ostensibly wrote about sex for a living would be.
2: Yeah,
1: because she's the character who is the audience is meant to identify with. She's the audience yeah. surrogate. Um, you know, she's not prim-like Charlotte or career-obsessed like Miranda or completely sex obsessed like Samantha. She's the man, one we're meant to think of as normal. So mm-hmm. the things that she doesn't consider normal are the things we're not meant to consider normal.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and there's that, there's a moment, and I think it's the first episode, when she's sort of dismissive and squeamish about anal sex.
2: And it's like, okay, I mean, you're in your 50s now, just chill out. Yeah. Like whatever you,
1: obviously as people, we can like whatever you like but as, a, as an audience, identify a character, that's really problematic. Well, also, like, what I find with that
0: as well is, you know, she was asked about um, masturbation.
2: Yeah.
0: And got all embarrassed about it. And I think for me, I was going to, you know, I can't, how old would I have be been when Sex and the City first came out? Maybe 15? Yeah. Maybe? And at the time, a show with four women in the lead like talking about sex, like it was really it was, you know, it kind of held them to that idea of like powerhouse females. Now I have got I tried to go back and watch Sex in the City and been like, oh my God, it's so fucking misogynistic. Yeah. Like and then kind of going okay, I'm trying to keep it in its little box of for when it was. But then I think I just found like I found episode one, my friend actually said it. She was like, they're kind of all they've made them pathetic. Yeah. And that infuriated me as well because it was like so what you get to fifty-five, and as a female, that's your pathetic. I don't know any woman that's happened
1: to though. I don't know. No, all, all the all women I know get fucking a more, more amazing. Radical. They have gotten yeah. no more open about talking about stuff. It's yeah, and again, it's reinforcing this idea that um being not politically correct but politically aware um, and comfortable in your body is something that's just for the younger generation. It's a phase yeah. that you'll grow out of. Essentially, we all go back to you know our. On um, woke, sex negative roots and it's just depressing
0: and also the whole bit with miranda and the i mean we're now doing a review yeah uh, <laughs> it's just like that but the whole section with miranda in her class
1: yeah i was like i, 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 it. I haven't seen the full thing because i just couldn't my cringe kicked into okay so i sh-
0: Something, I, I don't want to kind of say too much, but basically there's a whole moment where her lecturer is a woman of colour yes. and it's just, and Miranda keeps saying all these things. And the whole time I was watching, I was like, I don't believe this because the woman that is Miranda yeah. would be educated
1: on this stuff because yeah. she always would be. It's It was very, it was very strange. And it felt like they were doing that to make a point as well. Oh yeah, it they, yeah, they felt like lots of... Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm very here for the whole... Um, arc with sarah ramirez paper cliche and is just insanely hot um i mean i wouldn't have picked somebody up at a funeral but okay <laughs> no actually you know what my funeral i just wanted to be a big free-for-all flirt session I mean, I yeah leave- i'm
2: like bad on it yeah go for it do whatever's gonna make you feel better that day <laughs> but yeah it's anyway
0: um yeah but the kind of the by bi- visibility of things, which is quite we were talking about it in le- uh, lesbian bi- visibility. I've just finished watching Hacks. I don't know if you've seen it yet.
1: Yes, I have. Um, it's not much that I've seen it as that. Um, my wife watched it, and then about her third rewatch in the space of about two days, I managed to get time with her to sit down with it. Um, and now I think I've been left for Gene Smart. I mean, yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of people who have been left for Gene Smart. And that's, I'm okay with it I can't, I can't complain, like, fair enough I would, I would be at the front I love of that queue Such a brilliant, I mean, I feel like I can't say anything Half as intelligent as, as she would say about it Um, But it's so It's a beautiful, beautiful dynamic Between those two characters It really is What I love is that they're both messy Yeah But with heart And
0: they've both got damage And they're both trying to heal in different ways And
1: it's raw and real that women very rarely get to be exactly if you compare that to you know i think the the natural correlation to that is the devil wears prada where you had that similar age gap similar dynamic in a lot of ways um and obviously they're both lesbian love stories right yeah <laughs> if you stop the devil wears prada at a certain point it becomes the best lesbian one of all time i'm just saying um it's the different ways in which we've come from having the terrifying older woman figure to being not necessarily nurturing, but being allowed to be human
2: mm-hmm.
1: that she, Miranda Priestley was someone we we're meant to be scared of.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but Deborah's somebody that we're meant to admire and feel for. And she gets to be a complete person as does yeah. Ava. It's so rare. Yeah. And I think I mean, for all its flaws, the bold type did that quite nicely as well. Yes it did, I absolutely did
0: Yes I agree, I was going to just mention the bull type As well um, I have seen quite a few things that there is a, Obviously standing of Ava uh, and Deborah and hope
2: for yes. A relationship In series two I, um, I I, don't I think they'll at least continue playing with it Oh I hope they do play I
1: with think it They're going to I don't think they're going to back down from that From, from playing With the tension there I hope they play. I hope they continue to play with
0: it, and um, I think there's something really interesting in the possibility of seeing that kind of a, a May December relationship
1: between two women that we don't always get to see either. True, it's massive. So my wife Lola Keeley um, is a lesbian a lesbian romance writer, um, and age gap romance is a huge in lesbian romance, um, and I think it is that mixture of actually getting to see two different, different generations being presented as real people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's so
0: important. Yeah. And it's what it needs to happen. Um Kate, I could continue to talk to you for ages, but I realize Yeah, we we should I, we will do this again. <laughs> absolutely. Let's please do um maybe over a glass of wine. Yes. Okay, yeah, that would be great. Um but I know that you listen to the podcast. Yes. So you know why we're called persistent and nasty. So we are getting to that
2: point where I yes. ask you Kate Welsh, what does persistent and nasty mean to you? See, I feel like I should have had this perfectly formed answer to that question already.
1: Um, But it just, I think even from the first time that I heard it um, as the title, it resonated with me really deeply. Obviously, there are those, um, it's a reference to, you know, um, key political sort of, Quotes from the yeah. past decade um, but and it's the reason that those quotes became so embedded in our consciousness as well um, these are the two things women were never allowed to be we're never allowed to be stubborn just bloody pig-headed and we've never been allowed to just stick to our course of action despite so many people i.e men telling us that we're wrong um if we step out of line if we criticize somebody or if we act, act in a way that's deemed to be unfeminine we're nasty we're unpleasant there's that sexual connotation to it um and bring the fuck on yeah (laughs) I
0: also love that you didn't have it perfectly planned because I love it in the moment it's so um I I
1: try and plan things I forget them when I'm gonna say anyway so (laughs) (laughs) I just want
0: to let everybody know so the wages of sin and the unquiet heart uh, available
1: wherever you, wherever you get your books. Support your local independent bookshop. Um, Absolutely. Support your just local buy independent books. Because books yeah. are fucking amazing. But once, uh, just just buy books, buy all books. Yeah. Everywhere. And go to the library. Where you? Where we still can. Oh God. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Go to your library.
2: Bookshops, um.
0: Books. And what we'll do is we'll uh, put all your kind of social media links. In the description of the episode. um And Kate, so you can get to join in with me now. Until next time, lovely listeners, stay, stay nasty. Yay.
2: She's so nasty.